Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning I want to talk to you about the journey of being set apart. You could call it sanctification, and that's really the thrust of what I'm going to be getting into. But the journey of being set apart implies more than just a single moment, a single decision, a single event. But a journey implies progress. It happens over time. There are a number of things that take place on a journey. And I want to speak to you this morning about the journey of being set apart. How many of you know that if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer, that God has set you apart, apart from the world? When Jesus was praying for his disciples towards the end of his life, he said, Father, I don't, I don't pray that you take them out of this world, but we are in this world. And we're a peculiar people because we're not of this world. We have been set apart. Why Peter writes and says, be holy, be set apart because I am holy. And the truth is, we're all at different stages of our spiritual development. No matter how long we've been a Christian, some of us are new believers. Some of us have been believers for five years or ten years, some for 20, 30, maybe 40 years, some of us. And so my question is, what now? Doesn't matter where you are. Maybe you're a new believer. I've now received Jesus as my Savior. What now? What's next? Maybe you've been a Christian for 10 years. Wonderful journey you've had. What now? What's next? Maybe you've finished your Bible school. You've got yourself a degree. You've gotten some qualifications. What's the next milestone? What's the next accomplishment? What's the next event? I think that's very often how we think. What's the next thing? Deep within us, I believe there should be, and I believe there is, a deep desire for real transformation in our spiritual walk. We want that transformation to take place because, let's be honest, we struggle with ourselves, don't we? We struggle sometimes with our old sinful nature. We struggle sometimes with thoughts of defeat or that we're not good enough or that God could not possibly use us. We want to see transformation. We want to be able to slay giants in the kingdom for God. We want to be able to take mountains and do something exciting for God or something significant some expression or some experience of our faith that just goes beyond the everyday, the mundane, the routine, something exciting. How many of you long for just something exciting, something more, something new, something significant? I think too many of our minds, or too many of our minds, it's as though God is calling us to muster up just enough faith, just enough energy, and just enough wherewithal to give ourselves fully to the next event, the next thing, the next project, the next phase, the next season, whatever it may be. Uh, That is, of course, as long as that's not a permanent thing and it doesn't last too long and I can at least go back to my comfort zone of my everyday, mundane, predictable life. What do I mean by that? What I mean is there's a part of us that longs to move on with God. We want to see something exciting. We realize that to do that, there's a cost involved. It's going to require something from us. Amen? 
And many of us are kind of willing to do that as long as it's for the season and we can maybe get to the next thing. And when we're there, whew, thank goodness we're there. We've taken another step and we can go, oh, can I just have a little bit of mundane again, please? Just a little bit of every day. Just, a little, just to rest again. Because, you know, you want me to fast and pray and you want me to press in and all of these things. And, and Until when? Until what event? Until what is the next step? So that I can say I've done something, I can feel in myself I've accomplished something, I have grown, uh, people will recognize that I've done something good maybe, and then I can sort of just take it down again. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship created in His image or in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen? which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think the mistake that you and I make, or this mistake that we make as believers, is to think that these good works are just the next event. I've got to do that. If I can live my life, and then I'll do that good work. I'll go and feed the poor when we, next time we have an outreach. Or next time we receive the tithe, I'll give my tithe, and I've done a good work. Or I'll, I'll, I'll be very generous in my tip for the car guard and I've done a good work. Or I'll, give some, I'll go to church, that's a good work. And I, I won't shout at my wife, right? That's a good work. And just, just the next work, the next thing. And we kind of think in, in the framework of individual events rather than understanding what the Scripture really means is that you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's a perpetual fruit of a transformed life. That's what good works are. The perpetual fruit of a transformed life. In other words, it's not something I need to muster and go and do. It's the evidence that I'm changed. The good works are not events. They're a natural outflow of who I am. It's the way that I treat people. It's the way that I speak to people. It's the way that I view and I look at the world for opportunities to, to, show, to show and to sow Jesus. You see, these good works are not apart from or in spite of our true character. Rather, they're an accurate representation or the fruit of our true character. Amen? You see, folks, we can't put out on the outside a life that we think will please Jesus, but internally live a life that we know undermines the very works that we are doing. All of us can muster a few good works now and then. We can share our faith because the pastor said from the pulpit, you must go share your faith. I'm surprised the church isn't full this morning after what Ron said yesterday. Didn't you bring all your friends? Didn't you tell everyone? Ron last week challenged us, man. He said, I spoke to him yesterday on the, on the phone. He said to me, I'm sure your church is going to be full tomorrow morning because, of, because everyone's going to bring someone. You know, we can all give a little something towards the poor now and then. We can all do a thing. We can all partake in an event but my question to you this morning, and I believe God's question to me in this time and season, and to us as a spiritual family in this time and season, is what is the fruit of that normal, mundane, everyday life? Not that event. Not that big thing. Oh, we had such a great thing. You know, what, what is your faith currently working towards? Oh, well, there was this time. Or when last did God really minister to you and show up powerfully in your life? Oh, well, there was this time, you know, how many years ago, this thing so long ago. No, no, no. What is God saying to you now? What has He been saying to you this week? What area of your heart is being challenged and stretched? 
Because that's how we grow, amen? We don't grow in comfort. We grow when we are stretched, when we are challenged. What are you wrestling with and grappling with? You see, not many of us find ourselves in the throngs of great spiritual breakthroughs and slaying giants and armies and moving mountains on the daily. We don't do that. We can have breakthroughs from time to time, and there's that giant that we've got to overcome or this mountain that needs to be moved. But, but that's, those events don't happen every single day. Let's be honest, it would be exhausting if they did. And some of us may find ourselves there from some of, time, some, some of the time, now and then, but the truth is that every one of us find ourselves in our everyday lives every single day. We find ourselves, tomorrow you will find yourself in Monday. It doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, how much money you have, where in the world you are, tomorrow will be Monday, but tomorrow will be your Monday. It doesn't have to be a mundane Monday, but it's going to be your Monday. And what are you going to do with your Monday? Are you going to spend your Monday regretting Sunday or Saturday or last week Friday? Are you going to spend your Monday hoping for Friday? I think that's how many start their Monday. Folks, although we love to see breakthroughs into victories, and although we love to see our enemies laid to waste and, and, and mountains moved, walls broken down, we often forget that the preparation of that work or the work of preparation for those things to happen takes place behind the scenes. And it's what happens in the everyday that determines what happens when those events come to pass when those events confront us and face us. You see, mountains don't move on the outside until they've been shifted on the inside. Armies aren't slain in our experience until they've been slain in our conviction. Our lives don't bloom with life and vitality before our thoughts are liberated from the brambles and the weeds of the enemy's way of thinking. How is it that we move mountains on the inside? You see, we've learned from the Bible that Jesus said we can move mountains on the outside by speaking words, right? But how many of you know, until that mountain has truly been moved on the inside, no matter what you speak, nothing's going to happen. And so before we try and move mountains on the outside, we've got to understand how we move mountains on the inside. And do you know how you move a mountain on the inside? One rock at a time, one boulder at a time, one stone at a time, one word, another word, a shift in my heart, another word, another change, a shift, little by little, day by day, and as these things add up, and as my faith grows, eventually I come to a place where I can speak to a mountain that is not now going to move, but that has already, through a process of time and preparation, been moved completely in my heart. It is an already established thing. How is it that we lay waste to the enemy's forces when he comes against us in numbers? We do so by slaying one lie at a time. You know, if you are struggling with depression, the chances are you're not struggling with just one little thought. There's a pattern and a way of thinking. If you are struggling with poverty, if you are struggling with any ailment, with, with insecurity, all of these things, these are a culmination of lies. 
And if you're going to walk in freedom from those things, it's not like you can just wake up one day and slay that. Every day, you're going to need to renew your mind. Every day, you're going to have to slay the lie. And the lie is going to look different every day. If you want to overcome that sin, you have to learn how to slay all the manifestations of temptation that come up from within your own heart. Day by day, word by word. How is it that our lives are transformed into Christ-likeness in our thoughts and in our deeds? How do we become those people who naturally live lives of good works? It's by replacing, pulling up every weed and every bramble and replacing it with the truth and thought that comes from the heart of Jesus. One by one. Day by day. Little by little you shall inherit the land. You see, there were moments when Israel came in and God did a mighty deliverance. He delivered them from, from Egypt through the Red Sea, and He delivered them into the land that was promised. Amen? You see, God has delivered you from your sin. God has delivered you from your past. He's delivered you from your persecutors and your persecutions and your insecurities. God has delivered you from all of them. But for you to go and possess your inheritance... It's going to be day by day. God said to the people of Israel, little by little you will inherit the land. If I give it to you all at once, you will squander it. You won't be able to handle it. You won't know how to manage it, and it will overwhelm you. But little by little. And so it was a battle here that was won, and it was a victory over there that was accomplished. And the culmination of all these little events finally led to a place of victory where they as we've spoken before, the land was conquered and David, in David's reign and in Solomon's reign, everyone had his fig tree and his vine and were blessed and they lived in peace. You see, folks, nothing will change in your experience or my experience until it has changed in my heart and in my mind. We want more for God? Something's got to give. And that's not an external thing that I must now head out and do. It's an internal change that I need to, an internal realization that I need to have in the presence of Jesus. And it's not just one or two or three. It's a journey. A journey of spiritual formation and preparation. Preparation. Say preparation. You know, we like to talk about David. David, uh, 1 Samuel 17 is one of my favorite chapters. Uh, there's so many sermons I could preach from that. I love that chapter. That's when David goes up against Goliath. And we know, we know the picture, we know the story. There's the, the armies of Israel on one side, the armies of the Philistines on the other. And every day for 40 days, this big oak called Goliath comes out and he taunts the armies of Israel. And they are shaking and quivering until David comes on the scene, this little shepherd boy, 16 years of age. He's a kid. And he says, you know, is there not a cause and all of these things? But I want to read to you from 1 Samuel 17, from verse 33. David comes before the king, Saul, and he says, how can you possibly go up against a giant? Let's read it. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant is used, uh, used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, 
I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and your Lord be with you, because I ain't going with you. You see, God had prepared David for this moment. David, didn't, David wasn't some upstart who overemphasized or overestimated his own abilities. He wasn't here looking for attention or trying to pick a fight. But David had been prepared. He had dealt with his fears. He had faced situations when his life was in danger before, and he knew what was in him. But more than that, he had learned to depend wholeheartedly on God. He had within him an expectation of deliverance because of his experiences of deliverance again and again in his life. He had seen God come through for him again and again in his life, and he had every expectation that once again that nature of victory would be expressed in this moment. You see, the battle of faith that you wage within your own heart is the boot camp for your kingdom battle assignment. What is boot camp? It's where you send a soldier for basic training. What is, is he strong enough? In what time can he do the obstacle course? How many push-ups can he do? Can he physically drag another man out of battle? Can that boy shoot straight? Or has he got eyes that shoot all skew? Can he make it through the training? Has he got what it takes? Amen? And you're in my internal battles of faith with, with the fears that we face with the insecurities that we face. And let's be honest, folks, we're living in a time where insecurity and uncertainty are, are the standard norm. That's just the culture around. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the next two, three months, never mind the next two, three years. So we're living in this place of uncertainty and not quite being sure. Our faith will need to stand and be holding on something far stronger than what we can see around us. And it's the cordon of our dealing with these fears, dealing with these insecurities, entrusting our situations and our problems and our trials to God, seeing little victories every day over those little things that build up our faith to take on the bigger challenges that lie ahead for us, the good works that are not just about our everyday life, but that are those moments when kingdom shifting is taking place, where kingdom authority is being expressed in and through our lives. You know, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, he says to him, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called. Say, I'm called. To eternal life. A life beyond the life that this world has to give us. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, you and I are called to eternal life. And that's a very encouraging scripture. We've got to fight the good fight. And do you know why we have to fight the good fight of faith? Because although we are called, Matthew twenty two fourteen reminds us that many are called, but only few are chosen. What a sobering reality. Only few are chosen. Who are they that are chosen? It's they who have fought and won their internal battles day by day. We're talking about character. We're talking about strength. 
We're talking about being able to stand against adversity because something has been built into us. We dealt with our stuff. It is those who are found ready. I want you to think about a football team. Just a football team. I, you know me, I'm a big football fan. Where does growth happen for those players? Growth happens on the training ground. Experience happens in the match, but growth happens in the training ground. Amen? And your experience will always reflect your level of training and readiness. What happens in the match will, will tell the story of what's really going on behind the scenes. Are you with me? And although looking at the scoreboard doesn't give you points, just looking at the scoreboard doesn't give me points, I've got to play the game. What looking at the scoreboard does do is it gives me perspective. I know where I am in this game. What is your scoreboard looking like? What is your scoreboard of faith saying to you? Are you walking in victory? Or are you just clinging on for dear life? Are you just trying to see out time? Sometimes in football, you're just trying to see out the game and not take another hit. Or are you asserting yourself? Are you moving and shaking? Are you passing things around in a zippy, nippy way? And are you making inroads through the defenses of your enemy or of your challenger? Are you scoring those goals, those wins, one goal at a time, one movement at a time? Are you experiencing the abundant, victorious life that Jesus died to give you on the daily, on the everyday, in the mundane, in the Monday, in the Tuesday? Is that experience of life real for you, or is it just something you're still hoping what, one day to accomplish? I believe God is calling us to a season of spiritual readiness readiness. When a soldier has become flabby and unfit for duty, what happens? He's not ready for duty. He's got to go back to boot camp. They don't fire him. He's enlisted. He belongs to the army. He, they don't send him back home. Ah, you're flabby. Never mind. Never mind. No. You are going to go back to boot camp because you are out of shape. And when a player has lost his form or his fitness, what happens? He's relegated to the bench in order to receive special training to get him back to his full potential. Right? And maybe some of us have become a little bit spiritually flabby. We've been eating and eating and eating without much action. <laughs> How did they reach this state? It's generally because they indulged in things they shouldn't have. I remember when Arsene Wenger took over the management of Arsenal Football Club he came with a completely different way of thinking, and one of the things that he did was he imposed a diet on these players. It's hard to believe in today's sports world that diets weren't a big thing back then, but the players, they used to come and play on the Sunday and then go hit the pub and they'd eat whatever they wanted and pub grub, and that was their lifestyle, and they were just as fit as they could train. And so he started imposing diets upon the players. And there's a famous occasion where uh, at halftime, the players wanted their, their Mars bars. They had chocolates, you know, like a bar one is what we would have here, their Mars bars. And they were chanting in the, in the dressing room, we want our Mars bars, we want our Mars bars. Because that was the, and, and he said, no. I, your Mars bars are keeping you where you are. And you can be so much more than that. No, 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 I'm imposing a diet on you now. No more Mars bars, fellas. 
And another thing we're going to start doing that you've never done before, we're going to start stretching. That's right, boys, stretching. And it's going to increase your performance. It's going to increase your agility. It's going to make you better performers. That man changed the, changed the club, changed Arsenal Football Club, but that man's vision also changed football in England. Changed the game because of what was happening behind the scenes. How did they get to that place that needed that much change? Well, they just gave and indulged in things that they shouldn't have. And because they did not set themselves apart from their pleasures, they were, they were set apart from their purpose. I want to say to you folks, write that one down. That's a goodie. If we are not willing to be set apart from our pleasures, we will ultimately be set apart from our purpose. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 11 says the following. We're going to read all the way through to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Now, in this case, he's talking about intimate relationship. But that principle is true. I think it's the book of James that says, never let anyone say that he is tempted by God. We are tempted and drawn aside by our own lusts and affections. What is holding you back is not the enemy. He's defeated. What is holding you back from a life of, of greater experience of God's grace and, and, and Jesus and all that he came to give us is our own affections, our own affections for the things of this world, our own affections for pleasure and comfort Folks, we, we, we desire those things because they're nice. <laughs> they're not evil in and of themselves. But when our desires for other things, when our desires for comfort get in the way of our pursuit of the things of God, they mean that we're going to be relegated to the bench. And maybe, in the long run, if our attitude doesn't change, we'll be kicked off the team for good. Now in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. My people. My people. God is a jealous God. And He is not prepared to share our affections. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved ones, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That is the work of sanctification. The work of deliberately choosing God over other things. Deliberately choosing to pursue and to follow Jesus 
which means I deliberately reject the opportunities to pursue and give myself to other things. No more Mars bars. That's tragic. That's a hard one, and I don't even play football. Sanctification is the process of being set apart from other things that I may be wholly given to one thing. And the process of sanctification begins. It begins. Where do we start with this? It begins when we are willing to face the truth about ourselves. The truth. Not what we put out there for everyone else to see. Not those good works and those occasions but the truth of the real motivations within our hearts. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen? That's John 17, 17. You see, when we honestly evaluate what the scoreboard is saying, how does my life compare with what the word of God says about me? Not with how so-and-so is living. Oh, at least I'm not doing that. No, no, no. We don't compare ourselves there. We compare ourselves to one thing. The mirror of the Word. You see, when I look to the Word, when I look to Jesus, I am stripped of all my excuses and I'm stripped of all my reasons. You know why? I can't play the victim in the presence of the blameless one who bore my punishment. I can't play the victim in his presence. <laughs> my punishment. He bore my sin. Who's the victim here? But he leads me back to boot camp. He takes me back to the training ground, into the presence of my personal instructor, the Holy Spirit. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. You see, when we sow to the flesh, we do so because we want instant gratification. Right? But when we sow to the Spirit, it's like compound interest over time, producing within us a state of maturity and a state of readiness. I mean, you can compare that to how some people manage their money. Some people get some money, and before they've sneezed, it's gone. Spent already. Instant gratification. I like to spend money. I'm pretty good. That's why my wife keeps a close eye on me. And you get other people who when they receive money, they invest. They put money away. They plan. They prepare so that when the event comes, they are ready to meet the need. Amen? Compound. And they enjoy compound interest. Interest on interest on interest on interest over many, many years equals an abundant harvest or abundant return. Folks, God is wanting us to be ready. To sow, not just to our physical gratification, not to just uh, our instant gratification, the desires of our flesh, that which brings us comfort and pleasure. And praise God for things that bring us comfort and pleasure, okay? They're not all evil. But when that has become what we pursue when our following of Jesus becomes dependent upon whether or not it is convenient or comfortable, let's be honest, our comfort is our God and Jesus is not. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Paul writes to it and he says, preach the word, Timothy, be ready. Be ready in season and out of season. 
and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. You see, the purpose of all of this is to bring us to a place of spiritual readiness. Now, what is spiritual readiness? That doesn't mean I've arrived. I'm now this. It's, again, it's not an event. It means simply that I am adequately prepared to handle the next step, the next challenge, the next phase. You know, maybe you're camping and you're stuck where you are and you've been there for a season because God knows you're not ready for the next step. The next step will crush you. The next step will be too big a leap and your legs won't be able to make it. And so there's a, there's a preparation that needs to take place. There's a training that needs to happen. Spiritual readiness is, readiness is not a state of survival. Spiritual readiness in our walk with Jesus is a state of surrender. Did you get that? Spiritual readiness is the attitude of heart which says, come what may, Jesus, your will be done. I am ready to take up my cross, come what may. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you desire to follow me, anyone who desires to follow me, let him take up his cross daily. Oh, let him first deny himself. <laughs> I almost forgot the most important part. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Oh, I mean, and this was the mindset of Jesus. John 6, 38 says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Not my will. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you are willing, please take this cup from me. I don't want this. This is agony. This is pain. If there's any other way, but nevertheless, say nevertheless, your will be done. God, I want this Mars bar. Nevertheless, your will be done. God, I don't want to get up in the morning to pray. Nevertheless, your will be done. God, I don't want to lay this thing down because I love it. I love it. Don't deny the truth. Speak the truth. But nevertheless, but nevertheless, above all and before all and in all, your will be done. When we can reach that state and live out that state, in other words, have experience of self-surrender that God may have His will in that area and that area and that area of our lives. When I'm willing to say in my area of finances, well, I can't afford that if I continue to tithe, but nevertheless, your will be done. I'm going to put you first. When I'm willing to do that in my relationships, in my workplace, when people treat me badly, Father God, I just want to... Do... But nevertheless... Your will be done. Your will be done, Jesus. Your will be done. Your will be done. Not my will. Not my will. Maybe that's the thing that needs to ring even more loudly in our hearts. It's not just that I want to do Jesus' will, but that when I want to do the will of Jesus, it's going to cost me my will until my will has come to the place where it is aligned with His. And when my will and His will are in alignment, guess what? I'm ready for the next step. My heart now finds joy in surrender. My heart now finds joy in having laid something else aside because I've now tasted the life and the goodness that he has brought me into. Folks, the mindset that has brought you to where you are is the same mindset that is keeping you where you are. 
And God is wanting us to get a new wineskin, a new mindset, a new point of reference that we may grow, that we may go on with Him. That we may get out of the shallows where the water is around our ankles and go up to our knees. And if we're ready in the knees, let's go up to our waist. And let's keep going forward and let's keep progressing according to Ezekiel 47, until we are in the river of His presence, being washed away, being taken wherever it is that He wills. And so I close this morning with a a psalm, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, which is a prayer. And it's a prayer that I'd like us to stand together and pray. And I decided this morning that instead of just having a prayer time allocated in the middle of our, our, our praise and worship time, that I would rather allocate prayer time to respond to the word that I've shared with you this morning. And I'm going to read the scripture and then we're going to sing a song. And I want you to just where you are and given what I've shared with you this morning, just be real and honest in the presence of God concerning the state of your heart, your attitudes, your level of obedience. Let's pray this out together. Dear Father God, let's pray together. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. we continue in an attitude of prayer, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. As we sing the next song, if you want to do business with the Lord, you can come to the front and get on your knees if you'd like. You can stand right where you are and get on your knees. But I want to encourage you, don't leave this place without responding to the Lord. Jesus is one to to reestablish lordship because he wants to set you apart from that which keeps you defeated He wants to set you apart from that which keeps you down, from that sin which ensnares you and works against your salvation. God wants to set you free from your insecurities, from your limitations, because there is a kingdom mandate. There is a call upon your life. And He wants for you to be chosen. And so, Jesus, we want to respond to this word this morning in a fitting way. Not to just say we've heard a word and and carry on with our our lives and just having another Monday or another Tuesday and just the boring and the mundane. I want to thank you, Jesus, that your desire is to meet with us every single day, is to touch and to change our thoughts, our desires, our ambitions, our motivations, and to align them with your heart, Lord Jesus. What you ask for from us this morning is that we be willing to lay down our own thoughts our own pleasures, our own desires for the sake of knowing you, for the sake of experiencing the fullness of your life and the fullness of your salvation every day. And so as we sing the song to you, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, you'd help us to sing it with sincerity from our hearts in Jesus' name. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.